Imagine a business built on what matters most to you. One inspired by creativity and connection, where purpose leads to profit and wealth is measured not just by your bottom line, but by your higher self. Welcome to the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast, where we connect the spiritual with the practical to create a holistic approach to entrepreneurship. Leave the hustle behind and let your intuition lead the way as you grow a successful, fulfilling business and a joyful, radiant life. Hello, my wise ones, and welcome back to Work Your Inner Wisdom. This is the podcast where we explore what it means to be a spiritual entrepreneur and how to create successful and profitable businesses while remaining fully aligned with who we are and what matters most. My name is Lishay McDonough. I'm your host, and I'm so glad you're joining me this week. And I'm going to be honest with you. This week's podcast episode is as much for me as it is for you. As I record this, it's the middle of July, and here in North Carolina, it's gorgeous, but it's hot, it's humid, and there's something about the weather that just saps my strength, and all I want to do is chill out, hang out with my kids, and not do a lot of work. But as you know, when you own a business, yes, you absolutely need to take some time off, rest, restore, revitalize. But at some point, you have to come back and actually put some energy into your business. And that's been the case for me. I was able to take a week and a half off, spend time with my family as we celebrated my grandmother's 90th birthday. It was wonderfully restorative to be with my mom, my aunts and my uncles and my grandmother and really celebrate who she is and the extraordinary life that she's led. But I got home about a week ago, and it's been a real challenge for me to get back into the groove and to find my way back to my business. So I started thinking about some of the common obstacles entrepreneurs face in terms of building and maintaining momentum. And that's really what's behind this week's episode. I want to talk about the six things that we often do to sabotage our own success in our businesses and in our lives. And don't worry, we're not going to focus solely on what you should not be doing. I will also give you some guidance on how to navigate your way through each one of these six self-sabotage strategies. So get ready, because after today's episode, you are going to be so much more clear about what's holding you back, why it's happening, and what you can do to break through. So if you're ready, let's do this. So the first sabotage strategy that I want to talk about is something that I call losing focus. When you're losing focus, your actions are generally in response to one of three things. You're either operating from a place of stress, obligation, or boredom. So perhaps you find yourself in a situation where you're constantly putting out fires and you're just trying to attend to whatever crisis is coming up today. So that's a very stressful place from which to operate. Maybe you're coming from a place of just feeling like I got to get done everything I need to get done to get by. And so there's this sense of obligation or like you have to do something in order to check the box and get to the next point in your business or your life. And then finally, there's just good old fashioned zoning out where we have sat down to watch the latest episode of Stranger Things on Netflix. And the next thing we know, we're five episodes in. We're not sure what time it is. Life has completely passed us by. 
and in large part, it's because we were just kind of feeling bored. And life started happening to us in that moment. We weren't necessarily feeling particularly in control of what we were doing. And I do want to take a moment to differentiate that from mindful rest and relaxation. As entrepreneurs, we need to take care of ourselves. Self-care is very important. And I am an advocate of taking time to restore your energy and to replenish yourself. But it's very different to take a mindful break versus just zoning out and getting lost in the moment. And it's that zoning out piece, that feeling bored that I'm really addressing with losing focus. So again, you're either coming from a place of stress, obligation, or boredom. And as a result, you are feeling disconnected from yourself and what matters to you. So you're here, you're existing, you're doing the bare minimum, but you are far from thriving. So a lot of times people who struggle with losing focus notice that their life is fairly routine, maybe even boring until a crisis hits. And then it's battle stations ready. Let's do this. Uh, people who tend to lose focus also feel anxious and impatient when the unexpected occurs. So when that fire comes up that needs to be put out, it consumes them. They feel really stressed out and tense about it, and they just want to get through it as fast as possible. And then afterwards, after that stressful experience, they crash and they crash hard. And then when they are able to kind of step back and reflect, they generally feel unfulfilled. Like there's nothing that's truly important in their life right at this moment. So self-sabotage strategy number one is losing focus. And the solution to losing focus is something I call determine what matters. So the process of determining what matters is essentially a values clarification. It's where we take time to get really clear on what matters most to us, what we want our life to be about, the driving forces behind who we are, how we want to show up in the world, and how we want to be. Determining what matters is all about knowing your big why. And that is incredibly important because when you don't know your why, you will have trouble with your how. So if you're not clear on why you're doing what you're doing, then everything you're doing is going to feel forced, rushed, or uninspired. So when you notice yourself slipping into the sabotage strategy of losing focus, the antidote to that is to determine what matters. It's to remind yourself of those core values, those core principles that you want guiding your actions in your life. Now, in episode 13, I actually shared one of my favorite strategies to help a person clarify their values and what matters most to them. So if you'll recall, I suggested that you imagine your very favorite person in the world, someone that you love and respect and admire. And I want you to imagine that they are talking to other people about you. What would you want them to say about you? How would you want them to describe you? Once you know what those key words or phrases or events that they would share are, then you can get clear on, well, why is that important to me? What is implicit in the stories that this person is sharing about me? And how can I use that to help me understand what really matters most to me? So that is what I would suggest for sabotage number one. When you find yourself losing focus, Get clear on your values, determine what matters, and again, anchor yourself in your why. 
Now, sabotage strategy number two is definitely related to losing focus. With this one, we tend to know what matters to us, but we're not living in alignment with it. And so I call this one the Sisyphus effect. So those of you who took sixth grade Greek mythology, you probably remember that Sisyphus was a king that was doomed to push a boulder up a hill only to have it roll back down as he approaches the top. That was basically his personal hell in Hades. So no matter what, that boulder would get closer and closer to the top. And right as he was about to finish the task, it would roll back down. And so that's that's exactly what it feels like for me when I get myself caught in unimportant rote tasks that aren't getting me closer to my goal. It's almost as if I've fallen into patterns or habits. And when I stop to think about them, they're not really serving me. I'm doing them simply because they're things that I've always done. That's the Sisyphus effect. We spend time and energy trying to get things done, but we're not making any progress towards our goal. So people who tend to fall victim to the Sisyphus effect may respond automatically to events or almost go on autopilot where they feel like maybe they're not fully aware of the actions that they're taking. They might be defensive or even impulsive in their reactions. And these tend to be our people who, when they get overwhelmed, procrastinate or avoid things. At the end of the day, though, no matter how hard they work, they simply don't seem to be making any progress. They have a lot of time and effort to show for everything they've done, but not much in the way of results. That's the Sisyphus effect at work. And the cause of the Sisyphus effect is essentially that we are living out of alignment with our values. So it, we may know what they are. It may not be a matter of needing to determine what matters. We know what our core values are, but we're not taking actions that are in alignment with them. And so that's why I call the solution to the Sisyphus effect, make it so. So with the process of make it so, you are aligning your behaviors with your core values. And in doing so, you become the cause of your life, not the effect of it. So you are really regaining a sense of agency and control over the actions you're taking in your business and your life. So in order to make it so, this is where we want to take a small action step that can help us build momentum. So, and I'm going to share with you an honest to God, real life example of me putting make it so into action with this very podcast. So when I returned from vacation and I was feeling unmotivated and uninspired, I knew I needed to get a podcast episode ready for production. And it felt insurmountable. I mean, I had made 14 other episodes before, and yet the thought of going back and doing it again just seemed so difficult. And when I thought about all of the work that goes into creating just one episode, yeah, that felt like a lot. But then all I did was break it down to its smaller parts. And then within that first stage, what would be the first step? What is the next best step that I could take in order to create a new podcast episode for you? And in my case, it meant going back to what I know best, which are the principles of acceptance and commitment therapy or ACT and everything I wrote about in my book, Act on Your Business and taking that material and shaping it into a powerful podcast episode for you. I reviewed some of the material I already had at my disposal. I jotted down a few notes, and then I literally just pressed play. And whatever came out, came out, and this was my initial way of organizing my thoughts 
around how I wanted to put this episode together for you. So that is the process of Make It So. It was choosing one small action, the next best step, and taking it so that I was building momentum. Because the thing is, once you take that first step, it becomes so much easier to take the next one. So I've just covered two sabotage strategies, losing focus and the Sisyphus effect. Both of these are very much tied to creating a sense of meaning and purpose in your life. So it's that first M of the three M's that I talked about in episode 13. So these two strategies are all about meaning. The next two strategies I want to share with you are all about mindset. Mindset is all about how we relate to our internal experience or to our own thoughts and feelings. And sabotage strategy number three is very much about our thoughts. I call it getting hooked. So when you're getting hooked, you believe 100% in the thoughts that your mind is creating. Whatever your mind is telling you, it is true. And it doesn't matter whether they are objectively true or not. You have bought into them hook, line, and sinker, and you believe them. So that means that no matter what judgment your mind creates, you believe them and you respond accordingly. There's no acknowledgement that the thought might not be true. And as a result, you might feel like you don't have a whole lot of control over your reaction. So people who tend to get hooked often find that they get carried away by their thoughts. Before they know it, they've got lost in a daydream. Maybe they've been reminiscing about the past. Or maybe they are transporting themselves into the future and getting anxious about things that haven't happened yet. Regardless of the how, they're getting carried away by their thoughts. Also, people who tend to get hooked might feel frustrated, sad, even lonely, and they don't always know why. They can't find the source of those unwanted feelings, but they know that it's there. That frustration, that anxiety, and that sadness is present. They feel like something is off and they just can't put their finger on what it is or why it's happening. And one thing they're very good at doing is that they are hard on themselves. That inner voice is often very self-critical, even harsh in tone, and they get hooked into it. They believe that voice in their head that's telling them that they are wrong and everything is wrong. So that is getting hooked, sabotage strategy number three. And the solution to getting hooked is a process that I call create space. So when we create space, we are allowing ourselves to distance ourselves from our thoughts. So we are creating some space between who we are and the thoughts that our mind is creating. So when we create space, then we're able to approach our thoughts from a more objective position and we can choose whether we want to accept a thought or reject it. Now, we talked a little bit about this in episode 13, the three M's of entrepreneurship. And so for those of you for whom thinking about thinking is a bit of a new activity, bear with me here. But we do want to be particularly mindful of the thoughts that we're having and then noticing the extent to which we're buying into them. And one easy way to create space, to to make a little distance between yourself and your thought is to begin by saying... I'm having the thought that, and then fill in the blank with whatever thought you're having. So for example, if you are anxious about an upcoming client meeting and your mind is telling you, you are going to blow it, then you just pause, you notice the thought, 
and you restate it by saying, I'm having the thought that I'm going to blow it. And again, this is just a simple little verbal trick, but what it does is it just creates that separation between the thought and yourself. There's a big difference between saying, I'm going to blow it, and I'm having the thought that I'm going to blow it. That second one reduces the intensity, it reduces the impact, and it also takes away that 100% belief that it's going to happen. It's no longer a fact, it's simply something that you're noticing. So that is a very simple strategy to create space, which is how we can respond to that third sabotage strategy of getting hooked. So if getting hooked is all about our thoughts, then the fourth sabotage strategy is all about our emotions. And this is one that I call running away. Because in getting hooked, we tend to merge with our thoughts and we believe them no matter what. But when it comes to emotions, when we're running away, we're doing everything we can to not experience those emotions that result from those thoughts that we have, the memories that we experience, and the sensations that occur. So as opposed to getting hooked, where we buy into the thought 100%, with running away, we're trying to avoid the painful emotion because we don't want it. And on some level, we have determined that that emotion is bad or wrong or unpleasant. And as a result, we want to avoid it and we want to push it away. And here's the thing. We can only run away from our emotions for so long. I will not argue with the fact that avoidance is a powerful and often effective coping mechanism. But the problem is it's not sustainable. It may work in the short term. It is not going to work in the long run. And the more we try to run away from or avoid our feelings, the more powerful they become inside so that when we are finally forced to deal with them, it feels even more monstrous and unbearable than if we had simply dealt with the emotions in the moment. So running away does not serve us in the long run. If you're someone who has mastered the art of running away, then you are likely someone who views emotions as being either good or bad, and you do not like feeling the bad ones. Um, you're probably really good at coping with them, actually. You know how to cope and deal with almost anything. When one of those unwanted or bad emotions come up, you know what it takes to move through it. Not necessarily past it, but around it. People who are adept at running away really get bothered by feeling sad or angry or lonely. It's not merely that the emotions themselves are uncomfortable or unpleasant, but the very act of having those emotions is intolerable. And so oftentimes people who practice running away may distract themselves, maybe with food, with sex, with television, whatever it is, it's a distraction so that they don't have to feel those negative emotions. So how can we stop ourselves? What do we do when we catch ourselves running away from those unpleasant feelings? Well, the solution I propose is a strategy I call let it be. And let it be is at its heart, the practice of acceptance. And I want to clarify what acceptance is. It doesn't mean wanting what you have. It doesn't mean you have to want your sadness or your anger or your loneliness. It doesn't mean that you have to like it. I'm not going to ask you to throw your arms around your sadness and give it a big hug. That's not what acceptance is. Nor is acceptance passively allowing things hap to happen to you. It's not being steamrolled by life. 
Active acceptance is the process of taking objective stock of your reality, of what's going on in your world right now, and coming to terms with it. Again, you don't have to want it, you don't have to like it, but you have to accept that it's there. So for example, when a feeling that you don't want comes up, let's say it's a feeling of loneliness, you're not trying to outrun it, you're not trying to distract yourself with your phone or with television or something else. You're stopping in the moment and noticing, wow, I'm feeling lonely. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're simply allowing it to be there. You are letting it be. And that is the antidote to running away. When you feel an unwanted emotion, you notice it, you allow it to be, and then you allow it to move on. So to do that, a strategy that I often suggest and one that I use myself is to notice where in my body I feel an emotion. So let's take loneliness for an example. When I feel lonely, where do I feel it? I tend to feel loneliness in my upper chest, in my upper heart area, into my throat. It feels like a closure or a constricting of energy around my throat and my my upper chest into my heart. That's where I feel loneliness. And so in the moment, I'll just notice that the loneliness is there. Just kind of breathe into it. I don't try to change it. I don't try to push it away. I just kind of allow it to be for a moment. I allow that discomfort to be present. I don't attach to the emotion. I don't get wrapped up in it. I just notice it. And so often the very art of noticing, of giving it a little bit of attention is enough to reduce its intensity. And so that's why let it be is such a powerful response to that self-sabotage strategy of running away. All right, we've made it through four self-sabotaging strategies. The first two were all about meaning. It was losing focus and the Sisyphus effect. The second two were all about mindset. So create space and let it be. So if, if we've hit meaning and we've hit mindset, then you know the next two strategies are going to be about that third and final M, mindfulness. So sabotage strategy number five is one that I affectionately call time traveling. So let me ask you, have you ever gotten lost in memories of the past or carried away by thoughts of the future? We talked about that a little bit in Getting Hooked. Um, and so that kind of goes hand in hand with this strategy. When we find ourselves completely distracted and thinking about or ruminating over things that have already been or worrying about things that have yet to occur, then we are experiencing time traveling. So when you're caught up in what was or you're anticipating what will be, you are out of touch with what is. You are not living in the present moment because your mind is elsewhere. It's either in the past or the future. So in time traveling, you are absent from the present moment. And when we're not connected to the present moment, we can feel disoriented, we can feel out of control, and we can just feel like we're not quite anchored in the current moment. So people who tend to time travel will often replay past events in their minds and maybe feel guilty or sad about them. They may worry about things that haven't happened yet or play the what if game, uh, wondering what their life would be like if they had made different choices. Uh, and people who time travel are exceptionally talented at imagining the worst case scenario. So if any of that rings true to you, 
then perhaps you're someone for whom time traveling is a primary self-sabotaging strategy. So what do we do about it? The solution I propose is a strategy called anchor yourself. So when you anchor yourself, you are grounding yourself in the here and now. You are giving yourself permission to fully connect with the present moment and in doing so to fully connect with yourself. So this is where the process of mindfulness comes in. And again, we talked all about what mindfulness is and isn't in episode 13. So if you need a refresher, go back to that one. So there are countless different mindfulness strategies out there that you can try. Um, and I do talk about some of them in my book, Act on Your Business. But one that I love to do, and I find it just really enhances uh, every meal is when I take a mindful bite. And so you can do this at your very next meal time. The next time you take a bite of your food, make it a mindful bite. Really notice the taste, the texture, what it feels like on your tongue and how it feels to swallow. I mean, really, it's like zooming in, taking a magnifying glass and looking at the experience of taking a bite with such detail. When we do that, we anchor ourselves so deeply in the present moment. So I want to share a little story here, though. I once had a client say to me, look, I get it. Mindfulness is great. Enjoying my food is great. But what does mindful bite really have to do with feeling better about my life or reducing my anxiety? And I had to laugh because this was a really fair question and a fair objection. And so what I told my client and what I want to tell you is that taking a mindful bite is a practice. Mindfulness is a practice. It's through this type of practice that we retrain our brain to connect with the world around us and with ourselves in a different way. So the more we practice taking mindful bites, the more we stop and notice everything that's going around us in our world and express gratitude for it, the more we practice meditation, perhaps. It is training our brain to interact with ourselves and the world around us in a different way. So I get it that on the surface, taking a mindful bite may not seem like a direct strategy for managing anxiety. But just like you have to practice all of your drills before a big game, you have to get the fundamentals solid so that when you are at the championship game, you've got a solid foundation. And that's what mindfulness practice does. So I would encourage you to find some ways to anchor yourself during your day and continue to practice them. Because the more you anchor yourself, the more habitual it becomes. And we create those new neural pathways in our brains, which ultimately results in a whole new way of relating to ourselves and the world around us. So the sixth and final self-sabotage strategy, this is where we get a little meta. So let's have some fun here. I call this self-sabotage strategy role-playing. So if you and I were meeting each other for the first time, inevitably, at some point in the conversation, one of us would likely ask the other, so what do you do? And a lot of times when we are asked that question, we respond with all of the roles that we play. Uh, you are a business owner, perhaps you are a spouse or a parent, um, all of the things that we do. 
And then we'll, we may move on to our traits. You know, you're smart, you're caring, maybe a little disorganized. All of these things that you've just said about yourself may be true. But when we define ourselves solely by what we do or our traits, then all of a sudden we start to create a story about ourselves and we are reduced to that story. So any labels that we put on ourselves reduces us and we are not fully embracing our true self. In essence, we're role playing. We're taking on the role of the business owner or the smart person. And we're not fully embracing all we are. When role playing happens, our minds take over and we begin to see ourselves only as our thoughts, our feelings, and our actions. We limit ourselves and our, our identity, our self-concept to those thoughts, feelings, and actions. And we fail to remember that we are so much greater than that. We are greater than the sum of our parts. People who tend to role play place a high degree of value on what they do or what they don't do. That says everything about who they are. And what others think of them is very, very important to their identity. They really view their past choices and decisions as defining who they are today. And at the end of the day, they honestly believe that they're really only as good as what they've done. And this belief may also extend to how they view other people. So again, others are really only as good or only as valuable as what they're able to accomplish. So if role playing is all about a limited scope of identity, then the solution is to broaden the scope. And we do that through a process I call observe yourself. So observe yourself connects you with the part of yourself that creates participates in, and observes and experience all at once. Okay, so let's stop and break that down for a second, because this is the part where we do get a little cerebral. But honestly, this is where I get excited, because this is what makes human beings so special. We do have the ability to create an experience, have an experience, and notice an experience all at the same time. So I can be at a party and I can be enjoying myself and talking to all of my friends and having a really good time. Well, the reason that I'm having such a good time is because I'm there, I'm present, and I am engaging with them. So I am co-creating the experience of a fun party. I am participating in the fun party and I can stop and notice and say, wow, I'm having so much fun at this party. And I can do those three things all at the same time. I can co-create the experience. I can be a part of having the experience and I can observe the experience all at once. And when we consciously do that, when we take time to create, participate in and observe all at once, then that is the process of observing yourself. And that's where we kind of back up and again, notice how we are contributing to our reality. And that's really important because it would be possible for me to fall into the role of Lee, the happy party guest or Lee, the outgoing friendly person. But that's not what's happening. I am not reducing myself to a role. Instead, I'm anchoring myself in the present moment. So I'm bringing in that strategy of anchor yourself. 
And I'm noticing how who I am is a part of and also supersedes everything that I'm experiencing. So again, I warned you, this was a little meta, but I trust that if you're with me so far, you are going to get this. So that's why I would encourage you that the next time you feel, let's say a pleasant emotion, let's, let's choose happiness. The next time you find yourself feeling happy, I want you to notice what you're doing. I want you to pause, take stock of what's going on in the current moment. And then I want you to recognize that you are creating and experiencing that sense of happiness. So again, all you have to do, it's almost like pressing pause in the moment. Notice that you're happy and notice that you are responsible for creating, experiencing, and bringing more of that happiness into your life. That is observe yourself. And that is the solution to role-playing or when we find ourselves getting stuck or limited by who we are, what we do, or the traits that we've assigned to ourselves. So now that we've covered all six sabotaging strategies, I think it's time for the make it work moment. The make it work moment is brought to you by my book, act on your business, braving the storms of entrepreneurship and creating success through meaning mindset and mindfulness. And if you have not yet picked up your copy of this book, you can do so at Amazon. It's available in both Kindle and paperback. And you are going to find a chapter in that book called the six shadow processes. And that chapter is going to go into even greater depth about the six strategies we talked about in today's podcast episode. So this episode is kind of like your cheat sheet, your handy guide to those six shadow processes, but you can find even more information about them in my book, Act on Your Business, available at Amazon or learn more at actonyourbusiness.com. So for this week's make it work moment, I am asking you to reflect on these six sabotaging strategies and ask yourself which one you tend to fall prey to most often. Are you someone who tends to lose focus, who operates primarily from a place of stress or obligation or boredom? Do you tend to get hooked so that every time your mind generates a thought, you automatically believe it and believe all of the things that your mind is saying about you? Do you find it hard to connect to the present moment because you're constantly thinking about the things on your to-do list that you have to get done, or perhaps the mistakes you've made in the past that you wish that you could go back and change? Which of the six sabotaging strategies, which of the six shadow processes do you find appears most frequently in your life? For the make it work moment this week, I want you to figure out which one of these strategies is most relevant for you. And then I want you to use the suggested antidote that I gave you in today's podcast episode to work through it. So for example, if you are time traveling, if you're constantly thinking about the past or the future, what would it look like to anchor yourself, to practice mindfulness so that you retrain your brain to stay present in the current moment? If you are getting hooked by your thoughts and buying in to your mental chatter, what would it look like to create space to relate to your thoughts in a different way? So take some time this week, reflect on these six sabotaging strategies, 
follow your intuition and determine which one feels like the most relevant one for you to address this week, and then try out the proposed solution that I talked about in this episode. Okay, so we just covered a lot. We've walked through the six ways we tend to sabotage ourselves in our businesses and in our lives. So we talked about losing focus, the Sisyphus effect, getting hooked, running away, time traveling, and role playing. This is a lot of information to go over in just one podcast. So in order to make it a little easier for you to digest all of this, I have created a free guide called Six Ways to Sabotage Yourself and What to Do Instead. And you can find that free guide over at the Wisdom Library. So if you head over to workyourinnerwisdom.com slash free, you can sign up for the Wisdom Library. There you'll find a variety of resources and tools to help you grow your business. And you'll also find this guide to the six ways that we often sabotage ourselves and what we can do instead. And while you're at the Work Your Inner Wisdom website, you can also join the Work Your Inner Wisdom Facebook community. You'll see a tab that says community right there on the webpage. Click that and it'll bring you over to our Facebook community where every week I post a discussion thread where we can go even deeper into the content that we talked about in the episodes. So if you have questions about this podcast episode or any of the episodes, head on over to the Work Your Inner Wisdom Facebook community, and I look forward to seeing you over there. You can find show notes for today's episode at workyourinnerwisdom.com slash 15, and I'll have links to everything that we talked about in today's episode as well. Finally, I want to give a shout out to those of you who have left a review on Apple Podcasts. I am really honored and quite honestly blown away by the thoughtful and kind reviews that you all have left there. Um, there's a review from KKJJLLMM, which I think is a fantastic handle. And this person writes that the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast is a beautiful podcast that offers insight into business decisions from a heartfelt place. So often business advice is ruthless or dog-eat-dog. This approach resonates with an intuitive business owner who wants to grow ethically and from a place of honor. Well, KKJJLLMM, wherever you are, I want to thank you for your review. It means so much to me. I'm glad that this podcast is resonating with you and that I'm able to honor your purpose and your intuition through the topics that we cover in this podcast. I hope you keep listening. And if you feel the same way, if you like what you're hearing, then I would be so grateful if you would head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave a review of the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast. That helps other spiritually oriented entrepreneurs like you find the show and helps us build our community. So I want to say thanks in advance for heading over and leaving your review. Thank you so much for joining me for this week's episode of the Work Your Inner Wisdom podcast. It is always an honor and a privilege to have you here. My name is Lishay McDonough. Have a wonderful week and remember to let your inner wisdom lead the way. Mm -hmm.